Welcome action fans, and thanks for joining us for another edition of All 90s Action All The Time, as we reach the penultimate edition of our 90s Kurt Russell season. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Murphy, and on today's episode, we are talking breakdown. And who do I mean by we? Well, of course, I mean my returning regular co-host. He's a screenwriter, he's one-third of the Bloodhound Picks podcast, and a man who ain't no donut king, it's <laughs> Mr. Craig Draheim. Hey, I don't even know you, buddy. I uh, tell you, you did think of one in the end. Yeah, last minute. <laughs> <laughs> you were worried you were not going to have a response quote, but <laughs> yeah. I'm just glad you didn't call me shit for brains. I, I thought yeah. you might go for it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Craig isn't the only uh, co-host on this one. No, no, no. Uh, we are also joined by a special guest in the form of a former guest on, on the podcast before. He's the uh, Ghost Weights director, Mr. Adam Stovall. What would you do with ninety thousand donuts? <laughs> oh, everybody's you know, like <laughs> everybody's in the I don't know what like, we we'll discuss further. Uh like um the just uh, how that competition came to be, like what's that all about? You know, like I don't ninety thousand donut. Jesus I mean, like that's like your whole house. It like we'll discuss it further. I, I need the to give uh, background details looms, on the film. <laughs> the question of shelf life truly looms over this. <laughs> it really does. It really does. I mean you couldn't possibly you just have to you just have to become a donut shop i think like right <laughs> but, but like for a weekend yeah. you know, a pop-up donut shop yeah <laughs> exactly and only for cheap like gas station donuts not right. like, yeah. oh man i really uh, i came in here hoping for a moon pie yeah <laughs> no moon pies just donuts yeah um, that's the name of it no moon pies just donuts <laughs> Yep, that's it. Um, I don't even know what a moon pie is. They're not sold uh, over here. I don't know. They're like a. They're barely sold in the Midwest anymore. They're kind of more considered like a Southern yeah okay. treat, but it's just like a cookie with not even a cookie. It's a kind of cakey. Yeah, with marshmallow in the middle and it's coated in chocolate. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, there's a reason we all have diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> ah, right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm recording from Scotland, the home of the deep fried Mars bar. So like, I really can't, I really can't be smug on this one. Uh, like <laughs> as much as I want to be. <laughs> I was going to say, I've eaten in Glasgow. And no, yeah. No, 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 no. But you, like, there's no I, high horse there. <laughs> there is, there is. I've got no legs to stand on on this. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that Scotland is a healthy eating nation. Um, <laughs> but but at this part of the podcast, I usually give the background details of the film. So I, I will do that now. Uh, Breakdown was released on May the 2nd, 1997. It was directed by Jonathan Mosto, whose other notable credits include the likes of U571 and Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, and was written by Mosto and also Sam Montgomery who uh, also was a writer on U571 and doesn't have a lot of other film credits, uh, but it did write uh, a few episodes of 24 and a crime drama called Unforgettable, which I've never heard of. <laughs> uh, Review-wise, it is currently sitting at a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb, keeping our you know, our ratings quite high for this season. Uh, doing well. Uh, 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 52 reviews. 73 on Metacritic, based on 19 reviews. 
and it has a 3.5 on Letterboxd. Box office wise, it made $50.1 million off a $36 million budget, making it the 51st biggest film of 1997. Kind of weirdly sandwiched in between uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation at 50 and Absolute Power at 52. So it's a weird <laughs> triple bill if you want to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Really peaks in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> really, yeah so just, uh, I don't know, like uh, my memory of absolute powers is it's just like okay, it's not it's not prime Clint by any means, but it's kind of fine. But like, yeah, definitely the best of the. We're definitely reviewing the best of the three. Um, and um, if you're really hoping for a Mortal Kombat Annihilation episode, you will be waiting for a while. I'm going to say, yeah. uh, <laughs> just keep on hoping. <laughs> I have no intention of. Re- watching that film anytime soon. <laughs> but back to this film breakdown uh so well you know since you're the special guest adam we'll cut to you first what's your relationship with this movie uh i mean i saw it when it came out um in 97 i i graduated high school that year um i remember so like uh jt walsh is in it and he died not long after this movie came out mm-hmm. and i remember it being this like kind of a big deal for a minute because he was kind of one of our great American character actors. And uh, this, you know, he, I don't know the breakdown really like asks him to do anything he hadn't done before, but it is kind of a great representation of how he like, um, how he could just live in a character. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he wasn't afraid of the messiness, and you know, like the the we'll get into it, but like the, towards the end, you get to see a bit more of his life. He, you know, uh, it widens a little bit, and I just found it fascinating that in the very short amount of screen time that it has, you really get a sense of the like dynamic that he kind of carries in his like friendships and his family life. Um, and yeah, he was, he was amazing. I actually think this movie like texturally is just fantastic. I love how it looks and um, you know, there's the, the light when he goes into Belle's diner, the like shards of light through the blinds. And then there's a, there's one shot of Kurt Russell walking in the desert over a railroad track and it's just gorgeous. Um, you know, I, I, I did find myself kind of, kind of watching it this morning and thinking like, man, movies just used to look different. Like, yeah. <laughs> I just, I just saw Black Widow yesterday and like, we walked out and I was like, that was a perfectly fine movie. There was no inventive staging. There was no really, they didn't really do anything with the narrative, but like, if what you want is a movie, it is here for you. Um, <laughs> and I, I miss when this used to be that like Mm -hmm. breakdown is just a very well-made movie um you know i i got to know john mostow a little bit you know years back when i was living in la and it was like the first thing i said was like man breakdown was dope (laughs) 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 yeah i i like it and kurt russell's just the man i mean we're gonna get into that because obviously it's kurt russell season um and i have not been able to get on for any of the episodes so i'm gonna talk a lot about my feelings <laughs> about Russell. But, uh, yeah to, to this movie specifically i just you know it really it doesn't do anything wrong it's you know i mean it doesn't it's not pushing the form forward but like it's just such a pleasant like viewing experience mm-hmm. um i liked it yeah. yeah 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 no i absolutely i absolutely agree we will obviously get into it further but you know like yes it's not an it's not an inventive film and you know it's kind of made in the kind of classic b-movie mold but it is absolutely top class at, at that thing 
and like That's you know it, it, it like yeah. at the thing that it's 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 going for it's it's absolutely top level yeah, and that's exactly it. It is it is totally a B movie, but the execution of it, and the way that Mostow directed it, like you can see why he got you know really really big assignments right after this because he does totally raise it to another level. Okay, so uh, we'll cut to you now, Craig. Uh, what is your relationship with this movie? Uh, mine is that it was kind of like a couple others on the season where. I know that I've seen it, but it almost played as like a first watch because I couldn't really remember anything except probably the ending, which, you know, obviously we'll get into the spoilers of what happens at the very end. But yeah, and I was very pleasantly surprised. I, you know, this is a season that I went in thinking because we do the the awards at the end of the, the whole season. I was like, okay, so it's going to be Tombstone is basically going to kick take the cake um, just like how last season it was Copland or whatever it may be but yeah this I was like oh no this is the runner this is it might be the one that takes it for me because not as Adam was saying it's just great and I agree actually with this versus something like Black Widow or whatever it may be where it was just there was a period where movies you could really see even if it was trying to be something else or if it was paying homage or whatever it may be it was still clearly that director's there was still like a stamp of uh the director or the creator or whoever it may be where now it's just like this series of it, it all kind of feels like the director could be thrown out with some of the, the bigger movies because they all feel like the same person could have made them and things like that and so this was nice in I, that I would sense. I would push back that push back on that a little bit like even within some of the massive franchises I <laughs> think there is certain directors who have still put their stamp on things like if you like you know we're talking yeah. about the mcu so like you know things like guardians of the galaxy or thor yeah. ragnarok or you know it's you know you can definitely tell that you know ragnarok's a taika with tt film and you can definitely tell that the james guns all over guardians of the galaxy you yeah. know like so that I, yeah you know the director imprint can still be there i mean i kind of get what you're talking about you know it's all part of the big disney machine and and all that kind of thing but you know there there is equally you know there's still there's still good blockbusters being made no, no <laughs> I, I, I agree one that yeah. might even be like a more direct to this like because i was thinking about black panther uh yeah. and you know black black widow again is a fine movie but like there's a there's a there's a car chase where there's just like 17 different angles on the car without yeah, right. cutting away like and i, I was just i was it, it, it like it makes you appreciate ryan coogler um I mean, I always appreciate Ryan Coogler. He is amazing. Uh, but like the, the the simplicity of his filmmaking in Black Panther and how it's just like, no, we're just going to settle down and watch this. You know, we're not going to mm -hmm. cut between a million different things. You're going to be able to see the choreography, you know, see the geography of these these things. And Breakdown is, is similarly, like it's, I, I don't know that I really appreciated it before I made a movie, but like, yeah you know, the cleanliness of just like, yeah. no, set up your camera, show what you're showing, and don't try to hide and cheat a bunch of stuff in a million cuts that just serve to dissociate the audience from the action. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I do feel like that's becoming back in vogue. I, I feel like, um, you know, actually, you know, feeling the action and, and feeling the impact of the action, I feel like there is new filmmakers 
coming onto the scene who are like, no, we don't want to do like all CGI. We want to we want to feel things. And I think yeah. like possibly that started way back with something like the raid. I know that's like yeah. ten years old now, mm-hmm. but then it, I think it's continued, and I think it's got bigger with things like John Wick. And I think yeah. nobody is connected to the John Wick universe. And like yeah. I feel like there is this kind of stream of action movies coming now that's kind of returning to like this like returning to like the 90s or you know or even even before and just making it more impactful and being like yeah well like cgi is cool and all but like we want to actually feel things yeah well this is also that period where you still could get away with like that really nice um I mean, what they call the middle budget area, right? where it's yeah, not you know two hundred million dollars or it's not under ten million dollars. It's like you can yeah. make a very decent movie for like you know whatever it may be. But that... you imagine seeing a movie greenlit now for adults that cost thirty five million dollars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean like that—that that is a thing. Like yes, I mean this, the, the like the mid level, it, it's the the bottom fell out of that market you know some years ago now and yeah like a, a movie like this being made for 36 million dollars you know like now it's, it just seems seems crazy um yeah. but i suppose we should actually uh get into the movie um, and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know like before we talk around the movie and <laughs> we begin <laughs> with a roadmap yeah <laughs> it does literally begin with the roadmap yeah. um, <laughs> intercut like it's like the credits are like on a roadmap like it, uh, and and then it's intercutting between that and and just a, a jeep driving we don't know who's in the jeep yet it's going to be kurt russell we know yeah. but like it, it, you know we just see we just see the jeep and we kind of keep cutting cutting back and forth and also right one thing I, I did want to another thing i did want to note at the start of this movie we're not going on another tangent we actually i'm actually <laughs> talking about the movie now is uh, one of the things that struck me about the film uh, looking at the credit was the music for this film which i like um is done by basil polidaris and basil polidaris as many of you know who listening uh he's probably most famous for his score for Conan and for his collaborations with Paul Verhoeven, like Starship Troopers, Robocop, that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's just a weird score for Battle Point. He's usually known for these big, bombastic, Wagnerian, you know, like all percussive, crashing things. And this is uh, it's very different. It's all yeah. kind of harsh string. I mean, it's still quite harsh, but you know, like it's yeah. not it's not the bombasticness he's known for. I did, I, I found myself like a few times thinking like that it sounded, it reminded me of the Terminator 2 score hmm. at times and then like a little bit of zimmer in it at times yeah. and it's like oh this is a cool little space that this score exists in mm-hmm. yeah 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 apparently he um made like two scores for the movie the first score was rejected and then like he made this whole second <laughs> score the first so, one was just a piano the entire <laughs> <time>. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like, maybe the first score was, like, a, a typical Basil Polidaris score. Maybe this the original score was, like, Conan, you know? It's still one of my favorite things that, um, oh, God, I don't, it might have been, like, Deathly Hallows Part 1, but, like, yeah. the color palette that <laughs> the, the, the director used was vetoed by the studio and i'd never heard of so, like a studio being like no it can't look like that <laughs> <laughs> like what was that color palette i want i gotta know yeah oh dear okay so craig tell us how the action kicks off 
Okay, so we have the couple, which, spoiler alert, Kurt Russell is driving, and they are doing their going across the country. We don't really know why at the time, but she's asleep. Well, Amy, she's asleep, and then Jeff is Kurt Russell, and he's the one driving, and he's looking for coffee at one point. His cup is out, so then he sees that there's the big kind of canister in the back. He goes to reach for it, and then uh, this kind of rusted truck pulls out on this little stretch of highway, which you know causes him to then quickly veer to the, the left, and they honk at each other. And then she instantly wakes up and they, he explains that this guy just pulled out of nowhere. But, you know, he he admits that I did take my eyes off the road for just a second. But, man, he just came out of nowhere. And then she talks about wanting to stop soon and because they just need a break. And he's obviously tired. And you get the sense that, I don't know, that... So they're kind of this middle-class couple that are changing jobs or they've changed jobs and they're going somewhere, but you don't, just like a lot of this movie, you don't, you're given enough information to really get you invested and keep you moving forward, but not to really bog down the the story like I, with exposition or any kind of character background besides that. It is, it's like one of my favorite things that, you know, when they stop and get snacks and she yeah. gets the donut thing and it's like, you know, if you win this, you get $90,000 or 90,000 donuts. And they talk for a little bit about, you know, very briefly, but just like, wow, $90,000, that sure would solve some problems. And it's like, I mean, it's 1997 dollars. Yeah. So like 90,000 is, you know, a pretty good chunk of change, but at the same time, like it isn't really life-changing money. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, so like just that idea of, you know, yeah, like we're not told what he does or why they're moving or any of that stuff. But it's like it, it, it there is there's it, and, you know, it kind of speaks to uh, judging a book by its cover where, you know, these people. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to jump ahead. You know, yeah. these people <laughs> see a shiny red car in Massachusetts plates and are just like. <laughs> our uh, our jackpot has come in and like meanwhile they're in there just like boy these donuts could really turn things around for us <laughs> yeah 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 for sure and it's interesting what you say about like just giving enough little details of the story because like apparently according to the imdb trivia you know sometimes it's right sometimes it's wrong so we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go with it the film originally had a prologue uh, oh. which showed Kurt Russell's character Jeff uh, as a cameraman in a war zone and he witnesses the death of a young girl and um, this causes him to like quit the job or like and this is what prompts the cross-country journey uh, to start a new job uh, but uh, the director Jonathan Mostow um, didn't like the opening and asked Paramount to test screen one version the version we got or the version with the prologue and the test screenings came back that audiences prefer the version that we got and i agree i think if you had that prologue i don't know i think it would change the whole dynamic of the story it yeah it makes it feel like a novel yeah like yeah. you said that and i was like oh my god if this were a novel that would be a fascinating subplot of like mm. what he's going through but it is not a novel it is a 90 <laughs> minute movie <laughs> and also it's kind of weird like because like you know, obviously there's a lot not said. So you're just kind of given lits, little bits and pieces. And like this character in my head does not work as a war photographer. He's no. like in insurance or something. Yeah, I agree. The only part yeah. that, and obviously spoiler and it'll pop up later. The only part that felt odd for me was when he's trying to call his friend on the cell phone and say, 
I know you have that buddy at the FBI and that's really yeah. all where it goes. And that's kind of well, yeah, one of the standout points that I was like, oh, okay. I guess that makes sense based on what you just said, Scott. But besides that, no, I agree that it would be like insurance or something else. Yeah. So like before the kind of that little discussion about the, the $90,000 yes. and 90,000 donuts, um, he, they are like hassled at the stop station, um, like at the, yeah, the, the petrol stop that uh, by a character called Errol, who's played by MC Ganey, who, funnily enough, also played a character called Errol in Con Air, which came out in the same year. (laughs) (laughs) And MC Ganey looks like Lemmy from Motorhead. (laughs) He does a bit. Whose real name was Errol. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. (laughs) It all ties together. (laughs) This is Cool Running's Corner. There aren't any connections, but... <laughs> yeah, it, it That whole exchange, too, is interesting because it kind of plays off in a way that, you know, where you have something like Deliverance, where, you know, obviously the the locals are clearly the bad guys but you go in um and of course rewatching it like well you know burt reynolds was really cocky about it or he kind of treated these people like lower class citizens or whatever it may be where you're kind of watching this exchange and kurt russell again we've talked about this in prior episodes he doesn't really play the i guess the the macho hero that we're used to with all these other kind of action stars where He's just kind of this guy that's like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I didn't see you. And he's trying to just stop the situation from happening while, you know, Earl is trying to be macho and get and make fun of him and like, call him a, a shithead and whatever else. Craig, I appreciate you setting me up. Okay, this, yep. is, <laughs> this is the thing I love absolutely the most about Kurt Russell is, mm. especially in the context of like 90s action, so many of the 90s action stars were just like pure masculinity. So even, you know, you could put so many of the others into this movie. You could put Bruce Willis in and Bruce Willis would be the put upon every man, but then like just clicks into the gear of like, you know, you're going to tell me where she is and we're going to, you know, I I don't know. I can't do a Bruce Willis impression. (laughs) um, Or Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is just going to like walk through every wall uh, or, you know, I mean, just... All I don't think them. you could put Arnold Schwarzenegger in this no. role. I, I uh, see they, where you're oh, going with try. this. Oh, they would try. <laughs> I, no, I, can, I, I definitely see where you're going with this. Um, yeah. Because like the, yeah. there's other 90s actions. Like, you could definitely have put like Bruce Willis or Mel Gibson in this role. Yeah. And the but they definitely towards the end it definitely would have played out different they would have like just puffed up their chest and like you know suddenly they were just beating everybody down uh so like i do think it would play slightly different but i see what you're talking about yeah kurt russell has that sense of humor that made him so perfect for john carpenter but like in this especially i appreciated like his kind of bemused like bemusement it's a very low key but like he has this sense of, of about him of just like, why are any of you doing any of this? Yeah. You know, yeah. like he's not looking for a fight where, which like you put Bruce Willis in this role and he, you know, he'll look like he's looking for a fight. But Kurt Russell is just trying to get where he's going. Yeah. Like, why do you have to pull out in front of me? Why do you have to be like, you know, why is any of this happening? Yeah. And I was like, you know, this is, this is what Kurt Russell gives you that nobody else really does. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> I'd agree with that. It, like the only thing that you like, because he's not antagonistic. I, like I think the others would have been even the kind of ones that you could place as an underdog character, which I, I think like, you know, Willis or, or, or Mel Gibson, you know, before we all knew what Mel Gibson was like, um, you know, at the time w- would have been like the other ones that you probably could have put in this role. But again, I think they would have been more antagonistic. The only thing you could say about Kurt Russell's character is he's like, he's like a typical well-meaning if slightly patronizing liberal you know because he's like you know when he's like oh you know like uh, when the guy's like going on about how nice his truck is and he's kind of like yeah but i suppose that's the kind of truck you need to get around here and it's just like it's like i you know i see that you're trying to be well-meaning but it uh, definitely could come off as patronizing that yeah yeah to to that's to your your scott to your point of like he's not antagonistic that is a perfect thing i'm gonna jump ahead a little bit but like i love the moment when he goes back to bell's diner and the guy's like it ain't none of my business mister but if i was you i'd check the ladies room and he like goes in and sees the thing uh you know like if he just comes back out and like realizes like oh i'm in your i'm in your room like he doesn't push anything because yeah. he, he's just trying to like get his wife, like figure out what's happening with his wife and get back out on the road. Whereas like, if it were Bruce Willis, he would sidle up to the bar and like, let me buy you a drink and then pour it on the guy. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. or, or even with the bartender, like, you know, pulling the gun or again, we're jumping mm-hmm. ahead, but he would kind of either hassle the bartender or pull him over the, the kind of bar and threaten him, And then, you know, the bartender would basically go weak at the knees where in this sec, in this part, the bartender has complete control. Like, you know, he's kind of, he pulls the gun and then, you know, Kurt Russell basically like starts panicking and backs away and then sprints out of the door. I apologize if this is a tangent, but like it feels mm-hmm. relevant. Uh, but this kind of reminds me, especially that scene when the gun is pulled that we haven't gotten to yet in the recap. Uh, We've not gone to anything. We've not even <laughs> got to the title breakdown. <laughs> yes, we yes, we have. That happens before anything. Uh, but yeah, like no, so- no, because like after we, we've 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 just left the. We've just left the petrol station. We just left the yeah. gas station. So, no, like, we, we so the breakdown has not happened yet. We even see Kurt Russell. Anyway, uh, <laughs> go ahead, Adam. <laughs> I, we just watched this this morning. Come on. Uh, so, anyway, uh, I remember interviewing Ashley Edward Miller and Zach Stentz years ago, and they were talking about working on Andromeda. And they had written a script where Kevin Sorbo's character loses a fight. And they were like really proud. They're like, oh, it's gonna be cool. Like, and Kevin Sorbo gets the script and comes back with like, I have a note, uh, I don't lose this fight. And uh, they're like, oh God, Mr. Vane, Holly, you know, Hollywood star is like, oh, I can't lose a fight, I'm a man. And they, in talking to him about what the, what the scene was, they realized, oh no, he's right. Like we, we had our idea and we were servicing the idea and not the character and not the emotion and not the story. And so they, they changed and he, he wins the fight. Like I can see so many other people, like the gun gets pulled. Kurt Russell is so good at being in over his head and recognizing that he is. And like so many other people would just be like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not in over my head. You know, I, 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 this may be their bar, but like, I'm still me. And Kurt Russell is just like, nope, I did not expect a gun. I will be leaving now. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, what happens next, Scott? Yeah. 
Well, after the 90,000s donuts conversation, the car breaks down, like the title of the movie, Breakdown. Oh, that's what you meant, the titular breakdown. Yes! (laughs) Sorry for the confusion. Sorry. Um, Sometimes I'm dumb. That's okay. (laughs) Good thing I'm pretty. (laughs) You are a very pretty man, Adam. Uh, So, um, yeah, and then after that, uh, we get some we get some banter between uh, Jeff and Amy. A bit more, a bit more banter as just by the car um, as they try and figure out uh, what to do. And then it gets a bit tense as Errol drives by uh, real fast, and then kind of in the distance, kind of turns turns around and is is kind of just kind of staring them down from from far away, and they're getting a bit tense and they're kind of like what the fuck's going to happen and they're, they're confused as again you know as we were mentioning Kurt Russell Hall in this film is like why are they doing this yeah. so like um, and they, they, they're both kind of like why are they doing this but then um, a, a big 18 wheeler drives by and they're like oh okay we'll, we'll flag this down and, and Errol drives away and, and then this is when we get the introduction of JT Walsh's character uh, Red and he kind of he says that the engine it looks like the engine has overheated and um you know like jeff is like oh, okay oh the engine's overheated well we'll just wait for it to cool down we'll start up again and then but amy's not kind of having that she's kind of like oh you're really going to we're just going to sit here for hours you know and wait you know like i'd rather like hitch the lift and you know phone the repair guy you know phone like kind of mm-hmm. um a you know whatever um uh, and uh, so she uh, goes in the lorry uh, with Red as, um, uh, you know, to, to phone the repair people and get them to come to, to the car. And that is the last we see of, of Amy for quite a, quite a while. Yeah. And um, But uh, Kurt works out what is, after some, after some more kind of inspection, he works out, he sees a wire loose under the car and works out that that's, that is what has been causing the issue and uh, sets off uh, to try and find Amy, who is apparently at Bell's Diner, which we've talked a little bit yeah. about already from a much later scene in the movie, uh, which we'll kind of talk about again yeah. in an abbreviated form. But this is the first scene at Bell's Diner. And Adam, do you want to take us to Bell's Diner? <laughs> Uh, you know, Kurt Russell's been told that she's uh, that they're going to Belzar. She's gonna. She told him she's gonna get some iced tea and wait for him. And uh, she is not there drinking iced tea when he walks in. And he thinks maybe there's a different Bell's Diner. He's very confused. Um, but something occurred to me. Do you like because the Jeep Grand Cherokee is a perfect choice of vehicle for these characters uh, in 1997? Like just a perfect choice. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, do you think they struggled at all to get Jeep? Where it's like. Wait, our vehicle breaks down and then his life falls apart? Like, we'd rather not have that, even though obviously <laughs> later on it's shown. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 was, I was thinking about product clearance and just like, huh, I wonder. <laughs> um, well, maybe I, because, like, it, you know, I, again, kind of spoilers for later, but maybe because it's like they didn't break down because of yeah. their mechanics. Right. Yeah. Like, it is revealed later on, but I, I, I was just like, you know, because I mean, they're reading the script, and it's just like, hey, wait a second, <laughs> we, we're not sure how we feel about this. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, Kurt Russell walks into a diner, and it is just like such a divey little place full of people who eat there every day of their lives, and you know, as we come to find out, there are machinations happening of which he is unaware. 
um, that I kind of wish I want. I think I want a movie. Like part of it is just like there's so many movies like this. Like, can we do one that's about the town and like how yeah. they put together these like <laughs> traps? Because <laughs> I I feel like yeah. I kind of dig that. I, I actually, yeah, I actually no, I agree with you in that sense that I don't know, there's this part maybe because I came from like a very rural um, northern Midwest town that's basically either a truck stop or just for tourists, you know, most of the year. And there's this part of me that'll watch some of these movies occasionally. Like, I'd just really like to see a movie where, yeah like you were saying, where it's about that or either where they're not kind of the horrible hillbillies or the rednecks or whatever it may be, where they're like the decent, you know, it's just you have these kind of these town folk and you get to really live in it and see that world. Yeah. <laughs> when you were saying they're not, you're, they're not the evil ones. I was just thinking of Tucker and Dale versus evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, cause I, and I mean, this is the second one, but I really do love the guy that says it ain't none of my business, Mister. But if I was you, I'd check the room because it's like it's a very, it's just one line. Yeah. Um, but the like the idea that he's having fun with what's going on, like that it's a game to them, is fascinating to yeah. me. Because in the, to them, it's just like oh, this woman probably ran off on her husband or whatever it may be. Yeah. They, don't, they don't know the severity of what happened you know you can and it's funny well, I mean, again you... because the movie gives away so little you don't actually know oh, yeah like because it feels like the bartender it seems isn't in the conspiracy but how many people in the town are in on the conspiracy like you know we we just we just aren't given the information and yeah. what if this conspiracy is like, what if this is one of those towns where it's like, oh man, ever since the highway, you know, we don't really <laughs> get anything. Yeah. Uh, what if like this conspiracy saved the town? What if the first yeah. time they did the trap was like, it literally made them $100,000 and, yeah. you know, they, they, they picked the right car and it saved them. You know, like what if this, cons- what if this trap is why they have a school? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Also, the other interesting thing that I, I should have mentioned, um, just in connection to the season as a whole, is the bartender is played by Jack McGee. Yep. And yes, just is. like JT Walsh, um, both were in backdraft as well. Yeah. Yeah. Jack McGee's awesome. Like, he's, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's also just fun to watch his movies. Like, oh, that guy. Like, Bruce McGill's kind of my favorite one of those. Bruce McGill walks into a movie and I'm just like, oh, good. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't know what's about to happen, but it's definitely not going to be boring. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, and then kind of going back with, you know, about the whole town, because then you start even getting where you don't, it, it does it in such a way where you don't know who is or is on in, in on this, as we talked about, but even where we're told that the police are in on it. But then something happens later on to suggest otherwise. And even with somebody like the bank teller or that happens later on, it's just, I, I think, yeah, it's very effective in the way that how it handles it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I did. I do. I just realized that I did not actually do what you threw to me, Scott, which is to say what happened. Uh, <laughs> Kurt Russell figures out his car. He gets to Bell's diner. He walks in. He's like, hey, I don't see my wife. Have any of you seen my wife? And they're like, nope and he's like well that's weird uh all right i'm gonna keep going uh but if you see her let her know just like stay here and i'll be back and that begins the confusion (laughs) (laughs) there you go scott 
Yes, <laughs> that is exactly what happens. And then we go back on the road um, where Kurt Russell, um, as Jeff what was calling Jeff from now on, um, he sees uh, the lorry again. And he's like, I'm pretty sure that's the same lorry. And it just so happens that it is the same lorry. Uh, so he goes chasing after that. He sees um, Red. You know, and you know, and his and his lawyer tries to tries to flag him down, tries to say like, you know, pull over, man. Uh, he's not having any of it, and and then he nearly runs straight into a Winnebago, <laughs> which uh, Red helpfully points out to him in a very smug way, and then he, after saving himself and uh, veering out of the way of the Winnebago, he then gets back on the road, and then he cuts in front of the lorry and does make it uh pull over and then him and red have a conversation red says he doesn't even know who he is he's never met him in his life before you know he doesn't know what he's talking about who's this wife you're talking about da 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 and then um due to convenient plot mechanics a cop rolls by and again as you mentioned craig we don't at this point know whether the police are in on it or not um it just seems like it could be that the sheriff is just kind of a little bit incompetent or it could be that he is in on the conspiracy and again uh, talking about connections to other episodes we've done the sheriff is played by rex lynn who we last saw in our cliffhanger episode yes. well and this actually voices what adam's been talking about where um jeff really says like why are you doing this when red keeps going hey i don't know you buddy like i don't know your wife you must have got a wrong truck and he's and he's not being angry about it in the sense of as again like we'd see with normal action stars or anything it's just like this desperation of like what what, what what's going on why why would you why are you doing this to me? <laughs> and, the, and to set in motion this whole thing. You know what movie this, I, like, and I, I didn't, I was kind of surprised, but like this movie reminded me of Fargo a little bit. Oh, okay. um, and like, like one of the great things, one of the many great things about Fargo is mm-hmm. the, the Mike scene. And, you know, she, when, when Marge is just like going around talking to folks and then like talks to Mike and feels really bad. And then talks to the lady and it's like, Oh, right. People lie. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go talk to Wayne Macy again because he might be lying. <laughs> and, yeah. like, and like breakdown had this like he like you really get the sense that Kurt Russell like wants there to be an answer. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like he wants there to be a reason that's not just like oh money or yeah. you know maliciousness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, you're lying. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because he doesn't even try like his big major aggression isn't like even trying to hit red or anything like that. It's that he like frantically sprints for the the um the cabin, the truck's cabin, opens it up and starts like looking in to try and see any remnants of his wife. That's really all he does. And he even he doesn't like hold on to red as red's getting in the truck to leave. Like he just stands there in shock, basically. <laughs> of like yeah. for sure. Yeah, he's a really good suburban dude. Yeah. <laughs> you do I mean you do. He just like all of his reactions like for the first really like half plus of the movie are just like well none of this is supposed to be happening what the hell (laughs) yeah yeah for sure i like um fargo is not one of the movies i thought about while watching this movie there there, i mean there's a bunch of movies i thought about while while watching this film like this this section of the movie most reminds me of, of the of the vanishing 
um mm-hmm. yeah. just that sense of kind of just despair and, and just kind of like not knowing what's going on and trying to figure out the the mystery of it um it like it stops being the man vanishing about just over half an hour in but like yeah. um at this point that's the movie it most reminded me of well scott you should know by now that i'm always thinking of fargo <laughs> yeah all right <laughs> fair, fair fair point i, that is I mean true. it yeah it is a movie worth thinking about all the time. oh no no fargo fargo is yeah. definitely uh is, is one of the coen's best <laughs> yeah for sure uh, um so um yeah also where, where are we at oh yeah yeah right so um rex lynn sheriff boyd he recommends that he goes back into he doesn't offer to take him into or yeah. like he's he's off somewhere else and sheriff boyd's got shit to do uh so he says uh, go and file a report uh with my deputy and again we are still playing this game of is this police department a in on the conspiracy or b are they just incompetent because they've got like a million missing persons posters in this small shitty town and it's like yeah geez this police department did not know what it's doing well i will say or well i'll tell you after the fact of my story about driving through the desert that makes it more (laughs) obvious that was freaky but yeah um just looking and I won't um, burden anybody with that story. So for the movie itself, yeah, he just kind of gives it and then goes back to the diner or gives all the information. And even the guy says, I'll let you know. And that's about it. There's then when he goes back to the diner and that's when you expect maybe more coming from it of being angry or the, that bravado, but then, and we've kind of already talked about this with, they go and check the lady, the women's room go. Yeah. He's like starting to figure out like, he's not starting to figure out that something's wrong, but he's starting to get like out of his bubble, you know, like the, the, the inclination to check the checks, the check the order bills, like, you know, like that shows that he's like starting to doubt things around. Yeah. Which is what happens in the next scene. (laughs) <laughs> and also like yeah that, that is when it won't happen in, in the next scene absolutely <laughs> I, I don't think we've mentioned yet either like talking about kurt Russell's performance and him not being antagonistic the other thing that i think works in the film's favor is now this movie came out like a year after escape from la mm-hmm. and like you know like in escape from la you know he is definitely you know he's 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 lean and muscular and, and very much an act you know action hero shape but in this movie he's he's not uh, i mean he's not it's not like he's out of shape or anything but you know like certainly compared to his escape from la uh physique you know he's he's a yeah. bit pudgier you know he yeah. just looks like a just like a kind of middle class dad you know yeah. like this is what it looks like well even um you know the next film after this is soldier where he is yeah ripped you know it's, yeah he worked out for 18 yeah. months after this film so like that's what... <laughs> but yeah like in in this earlier when we were talking about him being like a war zone driver like i was thinking about what and you when you mentioned insurance it was like i could see him being like a, a substitute teacher yeah. like mm. if you just took him in the wardrobe that he is in and put him in a substitute teacher movie it would be, I mean, yep, that guy's a substitute teacher. <laughs> totally believe <brilliant. laughs> Like, in all those substitute teacher movies. <laughs> so many. So, so many. many. I mean, like, I, I, all I can think about now is the Tom Berenger film, The Substitute. The substitute that's yeah. it. Damn it, Scott. <laughs> Now that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. 
<laughs> Which, anyway, what happens next to breakdown? So I can stop thinking about Tom Berenger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Moving on from Tom oh, Berenger there again. Will be no Tom Berenger season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> again, if you're really calling out for the substitute episode, again, you might have to wait for a while. Uh, anyway, uh, breakdown. What's happening in breakdown? Yeah, so uh, this is where we first meet Billy, who is presents himself as the kind of somewhat slow kind of town the, idiot or the, the simple-minded person device yes yes um and but the, he gives he gives out some information uh kind of rather skittishly he kind of tells us like, oh you're the guy looking for his wife you know you know like and, and then kind of gives out what we believe to be uh kind of part of the conspiracy and uh, yeah. he 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 seems to uh kind of throw out there that oh like um you know you you're being dumb and you go to the police because like uh you know the, the police are part of it kind of thing Again, uh, then, like, and sorry to give away the ending, but like, in the creation of this trap, when did they decide that Billy needed to play a character? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I am so fascinated by how this whole thing, because it is remarkably well formed. <laughs> <laughs> yes it is very i mean like it, it is it is basically crafted like a movie uh, it is yeah. very much you know like everybody plays their part and like are uh, you antagonize him here you give him a bit of information here you know like <laughs> just enough to keep him going you know, you know like they, yeah. they even know i mean they really they have three x structured their traps yeah. so well <laughs> But they even have multiple plans because the initial was like, oh, hopefully they just both get in the truck at the same time. Right. I, then that would be, you know, it solves it all. But if they don't, we'll just lay out the script for you. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um. They, they they obviously yeah have like a like a plan B and C and you know like uh, everybody's everybody's playing their part. But we head back out on the road. Uh, Jeff is pretty desperate at this stage, and this is the part where it stops being the vanish. Yes. Uh, so it becomes more of an action movie from this point on. So there is a car chase. Uh, with Eric, basically, um, Jeff comes to like a closed road. Uh, he has that conversation that you mentioned, Craig, about his his friend of a friend who's in the FBI, and then into it uh, cuts into a car chase. Um, and this happens thirty four minutes in, and this is kind of the point uh, where it kind of becomes an action movie. And you know, we've kind of talked about you know CGI versus practical, and yeah. the practical stunts in this movie are really good. I mean, obviously, uh, we have covered the movie with the greatest car chase of all time ronin um so it's not quite as good as that but it's still pretty damn good uh, yeah. it's, it's nice it's nice car chase jeff nearly runs into a digger gets out of the way of that and then makes a somewhat bold decision uh to start driving downhill into a river and i'll say it actually i don't know there's that so when watching movies like this there's that moment where i know it's become this recurring thing across guilty pleasures or this where it's like because the script says so it's kind of like the if you had made shirts that's what one of the quotes would be but 
with this one it feels especially with his character where he's just been um had a gun point at him and not just like a pistol well he had a pistol and then earl points like an m16 or whatever at him yeah and like it feels i guess authentic in the way of like just not knowing what to do and frazzled and okay well i'm just gonna drive off this hill into the water or do something because i can't just stay here so i mean it feels like it works it doesn't feel like just it's just because the script told us to do this. I totally kind of expect, I kind of thought that the car might like make it through the water and yeah. get to the other side. Yeah. It's just like, see how badass a Jeep is? I was still <laughs> in product placement. <laughs> You're still thinking about the product placement? <laughs> Yeah. They they used I, it for the for the Jeep I'm, commercials after. I'm always thinking about how these people get money. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. But that is not what happens. No. Oh. It just gets stuck in the middle of the river yeah. and um Jeff tries to get out his window, uh, but is, is shot at by by Earl, and then so dives back into the water and gets out the passenger window, and then he is just and this is the brief section of the movie uh, where it's like the river runs wild, uh, and he's <laughs> just riding the rapids down 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 yeah. the river while Errol shoots at him. Yeah. Which is a lot. I mean, I've never been shot at while doing it, but riding the rapids without a boat is a really fun thing to do. I, yeah. I don't know if either of you have ever been whitewater rafting, but it's it's awesome. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I've not actually done it. So, so I'll, I'll maybe maybe have to try it. Yeah. Be one of your New Zealand adventures. There we go. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> well, and then another person shows up too, which I know I'm from the the masterpiece known as cabin boy <laughs> but uh i can't remember his name right now but we know another um oh, right. a, another member pops up and he says he drove off the or earl tells him they drove off the hill and he pulls up in a, a larger truck yeah because he pulls the uh the jeep out of the water yeah right. his name is rich brinkley yes and his character name is Al. There we go. Although I don't think he's ever referred to as no. Al. I, I like Welcome. in my notes I put him down as Greybeard. Yeah. Welcome to the movie, Al. <laughs> <laughs> like yes. So in this in this gang, in Red's gang, there's like four members, and Al is just like, yeah, yeah, he's just there. He has like a funny line later on in the movie, but for the most part, he's just kind of set decoration. He's just a pretty face. <laughs> he's just there. He's just there for window dressing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I love. So we kind of talked. We kind of talked about Billy uh, playing a character. So Jeff is hiding in the bushes, looking at Errol and Al putting his jeep in the back of one of uh, in the back of Al's lorry, and then he gets knocked out by Billy with the like butt of a gun, and then. It is revealed uh, when, like, you know, Jeff's like crammed into a boot, and then he—it's revealed that he is. Oh, sorry, uh, for for Americans, um, a, a trunk. That's, yeah. that's that's what I should say. For <laughs> our our audience is like fairly equal UK and Americans. I don't know whether to. Uh, anyway, uh, trunk boot. You know, whatever you want to call it. Just doesn't matter, I suppose. Uh, and then we we find out that Billy has been playing a character. He just played the yeah. character in one scene. Like it just seems yeah. so right. And he and how he's no longer the character is he rips his hat off and <laughs> shows so, his long hair. Yes. Yes. His flowing blonde locks, and um, where he's just he's just a, a cool, pretty boy. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is this. This is a tangent. This is one thousand percent tangent. Um, <laughs> okay. But there is this woman. 
Uh, I live in Queens and I, I live right off the seven train and we have a lot of people on the subway here because, you know, America is not doing great. Uh, there's a lot of people panhandling and there's mm -hmm. all different kinds. Some people put on a show, some people, uh, you know, try to you know sell you candy. Some people just ask for money. Uh, this woman uh, gets on the train and she is crying and she's holding a picture and she talks about how her sister died that morning and mm. uh, they are tr she's trying to raise money for the funeral. I've seen her do this six times. Um, oh and at some point, I remember thinking, how did you decide, like, are you like a frustrated actor? Like, how did you decide you wanted to play a character in your panhandling you know like what part of you is this serving um i'm i'm i and like i've told my friends i'm like i wish there was a way to say like hi i just want to buy you a coffee and ask some questions is there a way to do that respectfully um like, mm. so Billy having this character to play, like made me think of that, of like, was he like the kid in high school in our town or whatever? Like, <laughs> did he want to be an actor? And like, this is how he gets to like do a little bit of acting. Like what part of Billy led to the creation of, well, gee, mister, I can't, I don't, they don't tell me nothing about that. Like, where did that come from? Yeah. I am so fascinated again by this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, I do wonder if I've been like, you know, Red is like outlining the plan and how, you know, they're going to capture these couples and they're, you know, they're going to kidnap them. They're, they're going to take their money. They're going to, they're going to kill them and the whole setup. And then, you know, like you're going to all antagonize them at this point. And then I'm going to act all friendly and kind of scoop them up. And, you know, Billy came to them and being like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't want to be one of the antagonists. Like, if one of them gets away, what I want to do is, like, fool them by thinking, by making the other person think that I'm on their side. And I'm going to do this through, you know, being like a kind of friendly simpleton. And Red's kind of like, sure, Billy, you know, whatever you want to do. I'm like, yeah, you're, right. you know. <laughs> it, it's, right. He's yeah. the young one. He's probably like, you know, he, he's the one that can like run people down or whatever. Like he's like the more able, most able-bodied of them all. Like, but it does occur to me that you're going to be talking to Mostow in a few days and you could just ask him these questions. Yeah, no, that's, 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 that's a, that is a, a, a very... Like, wait a second, we can actually get answers to yeah. this. Yes. That's that is... great. <laughs> Do you know it's... what? You know, I'm, I'm going to let you, let you in on something here about my thoughts before this episode. So, I, you know, I was thinking about this film and I thought, you know what? Well, I'm going to make this episode with Adam and Craig. And in tribute to this film, I'm going to try and make it as, as taut as as this film you know <laughs> um that that was that was i was clearly deluded <laughs> yeah, that's adorable that's adorable we just can't help ourselves tangents yeah. galore it's what we're like oh i'm sure adam will be concise this time <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i can't only i can't bring it all to your door adam you know as, we're all equally to blame uh, i think we've, we've all already had a, a tangent each or more yeah. than a tangent each um i know i really want to hear craig's story about driving through the desert yeah yeah well After, like I, I don't know when do you want to present your story about uh, going I, through I mean the i desert? Could, is that for later I, I mean i could do it now it, it um we're now firmly in tangent corner so yeah, why, why the hell not let's Craig? do it um so when i was moving my uh, partner and i were moving back 
from Los Angeles after spending about five years there. We, um, yeah, we were driving back across the, going through California into um, Arizona and New Mexico area, but we were driving across the desert and we left late. So it was the middle of the night and we're, and there's this stretch and the desert, which if anybody has driven it, where it's like 200 miles of nothing, basically. And in the middle, there's like, you're told there's one gas station or so, you know, right off the highway. And so we're driving it we're like, well, I mean, we have enough gas. It's either we just make the whole drive and we're running on fumes or we can just stop at this gas station. But it's, you know, it's two and it's going to be about two in the morning. So we go and we stop there and um, my wife obviously doesn't want to, we, we go off and it's this, and it's route 66, which is the whole area is completely dead. Like there's no lights on, there's nothing. The gas station is even closed down. There's a light over the pump and a 200 feet away. There's semi trucks with their lights on facing us, but there's nobody in the cabin that I can see. And so I, I pull over, I stop, and I'm like, it's going to be fine. It's fine. Like, I'm just, I'm going to get out. I'm going to get gas and then we're going to go. And so I, I'm pumping gas. And then as I'm pumping, I start hearing, and again, I'm not seeing anything. It's completely silent. I start hearing this sound that can only come from a human. It, it's going, ooh, ooh. And it sounds like it's right on me, but there's nobody there. I'm like, oh, what the heck? And I, you know, I finally, I pump, I quickly, you know, get in and I'm like shaking. I'm trying to be like, it's fine. It's fine. Nothing, nothing happened. It's, it's, we're just going. So we're going on route 66 to get back on the highway. And like a mile down is this other gas station. That was the one that was talked about where there's tons of people completely lit up everything. It's great. So after the fact, um, my wife, who her, her family is social workers, they're like world renowned, all that. And they have a lot of social worker friends. She's kind of telling this silly story and saying like, here's this kind of creepy thing that Craig had to deal with. And um, her parents' friends were saying, well, oh, I, I know that actually, I know that stretch because I used to work in um, sex trafficking. And so what was happening was somebody was, it was a, a stop where in this desert, somebody was trying to signal to, to me that, like, are you dropping off somebody for human trafficking? Because if I knew the sign, then, you know, I'd go over to the trucks or whatever they were to then drop off my wife to, you know, for human trafficking. Holy shit. So that is, yeah, my, my <laughs> desert story. And, you know, and it's right off this desert in this area where, you know, if something were to happen, you know, you could go in any direction and nobody would ever find you. You know, it's, it's funny. When I was moving to LA, I drove from Cincinnati to Los Angeles and it occurred to me while I was driving that like, boy, it would be easy to disappear in America. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. Oh man. Ugh. Well, that's so that a creepy is, story. That is my story. <laughs> <laughs> So it feels kind of weird going back into the movie after that terrifying tale, but um, that is our job, so we will do that. <laughs> so I did want to make a point about the movie. Uh, there is something, I love how well-crafted this film is. So mm -hmm. we have the conversation right at the start about the $90,000 or 90,000 donuts with the, with the packet of, of cheap mm -hmm. gas station donuts. And then when Jeff is in the water riding the rapids, once he gets to dry land, he sees that packet of donuts again. And we're, we, we, it's kind of played as this kind of little emotional beat of like, oh, I remember that conversation. And Jeff remembers that conversation. You can kind of see it in Kurt Russell's face. And it's kind of like, 
and you think oh it's just done for that to kind of you know to feel the emotion of where Jeff's at however when he is kidnapped and we you know he's stuffed into the trunk and he's we open up the trunk and he's being interrogated by Billy and Earl he is like they are quizzing him about a specific amount of money the his wife has said that they they can get well he can get them a specific amount of money and they want to double check what is that specific amount of money because mm-hmm. they want to know if they've been bullshitted by her and they're, they're they're he's kind of scrabbling he's kind of like oh i don't know like i can't say exactly and then you know Billy is getting annoyed. He says, like, he's basically saying, like, yeah, like a rich guy like you doesn't know exactly how much money you have. And Earl says, yeah, this guy ain't no donut king, which again, he had the penny drops for him and he says $90,000. And I just love the setup yeah. of that, of just being like this innocuous thing. And you're just like, oh, well done, movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's such a wonderful little touch. I concur, Scott. Yes. <laughs> Point well made. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that came across well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, then we get like a really a properly disturbing scene uh, where Red is, you know, comes back into the movie. And at this point, he has dropped all pretenses of like, oh, I don't know who you are. You know, like he is full on villainy now. And, you know, previously when we've come across J.T. Walsh in the season, which we have a couple of times because he appears in both Backdraft and uh, Executive Decision in both movies playing a shitty politician. But not uh, cool but... warnings, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, but in this movie, he's like full-on villainy. And yeah. he is... He's quite he's quite a scary villain in this movie. Yeah. And I think one of the scariest things is the scene that's happening right now where he just simply, in a very, very matter-of-fact way, does a description of Amy. But it, it's just it just feels so Ugh. icky. Yeah. Yes. You're so right. No, no. What? Sorry. <laughs> this is Lupe, who we're now going to hear because the dog has finished her bone and she wants to cry a bit. Yeah. Lupe, what are we doing? <laughs> you just want another? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, it's a very disgusting yes. uh, description. Well, and it plays into I don't know this whole moment too because um, Jeff keeps saying, you know, I want to see my wife, or I want, you know, kind of evidence that my wife is still alive, and it makes it clear that he is not the one in control at all because they never let him know and then they and he still keeps doing what they're asking because it's like he doesn't have any other choice which again kind of would deter from i think how this would have been handled with another action star or even another version of this movie Uh, yeah i absolutely agree as we've kind of discussed um, a, a few junctures in this episode already they're definitely with nearly any other action star at this point in the movie, even if 
the character did eventually acquiesce to to what Red was demands. Um, there definitely would have been some sort of shoving match, or he would have uh, punched out either Billy or Earl, and then been convinced and strong-armed into it. But he just realized he has no cards to play, and he's just like, "Okay, I'm just desperate to get my wife back. I'll I'll, I'll do anything, go, what, yeah. whatever you want." And that thing is to go into the bank, which is. It, it's probably about some hundred yards away into this town that is basically just surrounded by desert. And they know one officer, there's two officers in the town. One is in the foothills, so we'll not be back for a long time. And they called a fake accident, which would take the other officer 20 minutes to get out, 10 to realize there isn't an accident and 20 to get back, whatever. So he has 50 minutes to go to the bank and transfer all $90,000 into you know cash to them bring back. And they're going to be watching him is all that they say. But, you know, while he's doing this, you don't necessarily know if they are watching him or if other people of the town are involved, as we've already discussed, or if it's just kind of like the scare tactic. But either way, it works. So when he's in there, he doesn't know who is in on it and who isn't. Which he plays beautifully. Yes, he does. Yeah, because the scene that comes, yeah, the scene that happens next in the bank is, yeah, it's absolutely beautifully played in terms of he thinks he can trust the bank manager. He seems like probably not in on it. So he tries to attempt to like tell the bank manager, you know, what the situation is. But then this other guy, starts talking to the bank manager and he looks like a bit sketchy a bit of a redneck but looks kind of like he might be part of the gang so he just immediately shuts down and he's just like no just uh give me the money like i I just i had a bit of a car accident or i don't know where my head's at and you know just uh i just need the money and credit where credit's due both the bank manager and the sketchy guy also play it perfectly yes oh yeah 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 the way the sketchy guy like just sits down and is kind of just perusing through the magazine but you know like in a really kind of uh you know just yeah sketchy kind of nasty way but it's also totally possible he's just like there to like get a loan and he's like when is this guy gonna leave so i can talk to the manager about getting a loan why does he keep looking at me yeah, that, that that is what worked because in in you know Jeff's mind it's all sketchy, but then you kind of if you take a step back, you're like, no, all these people are just being normal. It's just he's viewing it that way, and he does that whole thing of where he goes into the bathroom, and again another kind of action moment where he's like trying to find a weapon to potentially use, and there's nothing, or he finds like the the plunger handle that he's going to use and it's no that's a bad idea and he just like stop and he doesn't do any of it until you know he ends up grabbing the um letter opener i like that the bank scene of breakdown is our rashomon where it's like oh we can break this down from all these different angles yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, for sure for sure (laughs) one of the kind of you know like um you know how you mentioned you know the scenes in movies you know because the script says so and i Again, it totally works because, like, um, you know, it, it, the plot won't go forward without it. But there's 
like the little wraps for for the money to for the you know yeah. to show what the uh, denomination is it just happens to be on the bank manager's desk just kind of lying out so you can just grab them which is totally plausible. Yeah, no, it's fine. You know, like, it's not like a big yeah. kind of like, oh, that just seems totally implausible. It's not. It, it's just. <laughs> it's just like one of those kind of things. Of like, oh, it's right. a crazy day to bring my battle axe collection to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. He goes into. He goes into the loo and finds a mini gun or something. You know, it's yeah. just not. It's not like that. <laughs> Ah <laughs> oh, dear. He yeah. Uh, go, he goes into the parking lot and uh, finds the battle van from uh, Tango and Cash. That's yeah. Cool. There you go. <laughs> I just I was just down in Virginia a few weeks ago and like there's a ton of Civil War shit there and like now I'm just thinking like oh yeah the, the cannon outside the town bank. He just like turns around. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's the Liam Neeson version of this movie. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, as we've discussed a bunch of times so far, like that's kind of the cool thing about the character Jeff. You know, he's not a man with a particular set of skills. He's just a man who's just like desperate and um, you know, doing what he has to. And you know, he kind of has some action skills later on in the movie, but like again, he's just really bumbling around, getting by. Yeah, yeah. I, this movie reminded me, especially at this part. Um, the whole sequence when he's like walking down the street and then, um, but I don't know if you guys remember a movie called Nick of Time. Yeah. That, yeah oh, the like Johnny, Johnny Depp film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was thinking about how much better this version is <laughs> and how much better Kurt Russell would have been as the, in that character. Yeah. Uh, because he has that particular set of skills as an actor that like Johnny Depp just like never quite felt like that person. Yeah. Very yeah, I, I know what you mean. Right like, I, I don't know. Like, he, yeah, he doesn't work as well in that kind of role. Like, there's there's certain roles that Johnny Depp always excels in, but that's not yeah. necessarily one of them. No. Like, I, I suppose, like, because partly because Johnny, there's there's a slight kind of otherworldliness to Johnny Depp. There's like, like, it's not like he can't really do every man. Like, it's not right, really in exactly his wheelhouse. He's like a little too pretty to be an everyman. Yes. Like yeah. Kurt Russell's a very attractive man, but he's like an, an like he you could you could see him as a neighbor. Yeah. Like if Johnny Depp is your neighbor, you're Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's something just a little bit too cool, a little bit too rock and roll about Johnny Depp for him yeah. just to be like normal suburban dad whereas yeah. like kurt russell as much as he, he is a good looking guy and he does look like a hollywood star he, he he's grounded enough that he, he can still pull that off yeah dog's freaking out sorry that's <laughs> ah, all right it's okay it's okay i know um, you don't have to go for a walk because i just took you out <laughs> <laughs> And talking about, like, excellent segueing, uh, talking about going for a walk, um, Jeff is instructed to go for a walk and uh, then get into the first pickup truck that he sees. Yeah, which and, uh, is Earl. And, it, and again, it goes, as we've kind of talked about before, where he wants evidence that his wife is still alive. And Earl's like, you get, you give me the bag of cash and get in the, or you give me the bag of cash. I'm just going to shoot you dead right here. And so he just, you know, gives the bag of cash and then he gets um, his hands 
um, bound by the duct tape and yeah, and it's then put in the truck with him. As Earl, right, I gotta figure out what this is. I'll be right back, guys. Okay. So Earl duct tapes, binds his hands and duct tape, and then sits him in there. And as they're they're basically driving with the money, which Earl believes is the ninety thousand dollars, and we. And Earl is just kind right. of. I, I, I yeah. will be back as soon as I can, but she very okay. clearly wants to go outside. So I'm very sorry. No problem. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do it. This is the first time this has happened on recording. Okay. But like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's all okay. good. Here, I can finish the, I guess, my thought press and then we'll. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah yes. we, 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 will continue, we will continue on. This is podcasting okay. gold. I, I yeah. think. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, Earl, the whole time is basically just mocking him and talking about you were such an idiot with your you were so easy with your fancy you know your fancy car and you just came up and you just went through with it so yeah he's just mocking him and during this time um or well jeff even gets hit to the side and he's trying to basically cut himself free with the with the letter opener that he grabbed at the bank and earl is just yeah mocking him and talking about the whole thing but then at that moment earl finally starts looking at the cash and we see that what jeff did was put um the hundreds on the end and then filled you know these stacks with ones and so you know because i think he was only able to get five thousand yeah it was five thousand he tried to get an extra six thousand on his credit card but he couldn't do that so it was five grand he got in the end which again then kind of goes where you learn about it gives us just enough where you learn about their money issue that there's something with kind of money issue, but not fully that you know they obviously have nowhere near ninety thousand dollars to spend. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But then I suppose like yeah, this this is where it becomes even more of an action movie because yes. like he does become a little bit more of an action hero. Yeah from this point of the movie yeah but i i mean fortunately i think it it feels it doesn't feel like he goes from one to a hundred which i think helps like it does feel like it's it's just that frantic nature of that he gets himself free and he stabs earl and but it's not like he's doing you know full-on i guess fist fighting and it's very messy in terms of the fighting you know. that, that is true yeah. it, it's not like he's suddenly becomes an elite commando or anything with you know like uh, special fighting skills he yeah. is just again scrabbling around uh, trying to do his best um, oh, this is quite a f- kind of fun action sequence because he stabs Errol in the shoulder with the letter opener and then he pistol whips the fuck yeah. out of him he like yeah. smashes that gun into his face like at least half a dozen times yeah and i mean i like the the part so he binds his earl's hands and then he binds his neck to the to the backrest of the the seat and so his form of like torture is either pistol whipping him in the face asking him what's happening or where's my wife at or he's slamming on the brakes which is then choking earl yeah he becomes a bit jack burr at this stage yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much just for this scene he becomes Jack Bauer. <laughs> yeah. Because after the after the um Boyd shows up and they're pulled over because the truck is swerving and slamming on its brakes and everything, 
um, he kind of goes back to that normal nature, I guess, <laughs> in a way. Yeah, um, the kind of the character that we have learned about up until this point uh, and has been following up until this point. Yeah, he goes back to that character. But yeah, just for this kind of one scene, Jack Bauer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But as you mentioned, yes, Sheriff Boyd does turn up and he demands that uh, Jeff comes out the car and um, Jeff is trying to explain. He's like, I've got the guys, you know, you didn't believe me, but I've got the guys. I yeah. was right. It's, I'm not going mad. It was the right lorry. It, these people have got my wife, you know, just listen to me. And Sheriff Boyd's like, ah, none of that. You, know, you have I'm a gun in your hand right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and to be fair to the film, again, you know, it, it all kind of reads. It's not like, you know, sometimes in these movies, you know, whether it is one of the, you know, this quite often happens in, in action thrillers or like also in horror movies and kind of yeah. stalker thrillers where it's like self-evident to anybody with a brain that something dodgy is going on apart from to the police force they're like no nah, it seems all good to us whereas this is like it does seem like a dodgy situation and like you know i'm sure you wouldn't know what to think of being like is yeah. this guy just crazy yeah we see this truck swerve all over the place and then he walks out with a gun i mean i am back. that's big okay <laughs> Good to have you back, Adam. Thanks. Just to catch up, we're, we're just after uh, what we've now dubbed as the Jack Bauer sequence where um, uh, Jeff uh, tortures Errol for a little bit before just becoming uh, Jeff again. And yeah. now, yes. now he is being held up uh, by the sheriff while uh, Errol frees himself uh, from, from being duct taped in the car. And we were kind of saying how to Boyd, it makes sense that... Um, because here he sees this truck swerving all over the place, then this guy jumping out with a gun. Like it doesn't seem like he's just completely clueless that it, you know, why it makes sense why he would tell Jeff to get on the ground. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, because there's also kind of a like, isn't there a beat where he, they they see each other and like recognize or? Yeah. 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 What doesn't quite, uh, what doesn't make quite as much sense is, so Errol now knows the situation and can play up to the fact that he has been pistol whipped to death and also tortured in the car and can, you know, kind of plead the innocent and be like, oh, this guy came and tortured me. I don't know why. But instead, he's like, fuck this conspiracy. I've had enough of all this play acting. I'm just going to shoot the cop. Yeah. Well, I think because there's the, isn't it, there's the, there's the cash in the car. So, I mean, there, right. there, there is more evidence that for, I guess, Jeff's benefit than... I guess you know the the original run-in with Red, where there's nothing at all. Well, I mean, like, but again, that's easy. Like, you could just yeah. say this guy is crazy. This guy's right. crazy. He held up the bank. Uh, then he pulled me over with a gun, and is you know, yeah. like it. I mean, they've been play acting well so far. Like, I don't understand why they <laughs> just give up on it because it's like now we're an action movie, so we don't care. Yeah, I mean, because. The only Billy is the one that is made to seem like he's the more frantic or, you know, just wants to get this money and wants to do this later on because you hear Red yell at him about like he needs to calm down or something. 
Yeah. Where Earl seems like he's, you know, he's been through it enough where he'd know how to play the, play this game that they're doing. But anyway, that's not what happens. He shoots Sheriff Boyd in the neck. Yeah. And yeah, and then he's, you know, he, he goes after uh, Jeff and he is about to shoot Jeff. But wouldn't you know it, Sheriff Boyd isn't quite dead yet and shoots Earl in the head and Errol is dead. And that's it. That's the end yeah. of Errol. Yeah, and you have this moment where it kind of, where Boyd is trying to call for the for assistance because he's been shot now and he really can't. And where there is this beat with Jeff where it's like he doesn't know whether or not to actually help Boyd, but it feel it doesn't feel like he's being uh, you know a dick about it or any sense, right? Like, he like, just hey, doesn't know what to do. Yeah, this guy needs help, and they're like, "Who are you?" Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "I'm the guy that has to go to a truck stop." Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just call an ambulance. Then. Just call an ambulance. <laughs> Where are you? Uh, I don't know. It's a dirt road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think like um. Sheriff Boyd, he tries to say something on the radio. So I think they know his position from what his original communication was. Yeah. Um, my, my only thing I'll say is he leaves Boyd in the middle of the road. Yeah. Like he doesn't try and pull up to the side or anything. That, that's a fair point. Yeah. I, I think that is kind of one of the moments in the movie where it's just like, you know what? Like, um, we got plot to get on with, you know, like this character is a side character. We don't really care. It's fine. We'll, like, this is Jeff's story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, truck along to the truck stop. And what happens at the truck stop, Adam? What doesn't happen at the truck stop? <laughs> uh, what happens? Yeah. Every cop has converged on it. And he, uh, uh, he being Jeff, uh, sees a few people who look like J.T. Walsh. They're, they're wearing the trucker uh, uniform of a blue trucker hat and denim, everything. Uh, and then he finally finds J.T. Walsh on a payphone uh, telling someone that he is, uh, that there's just too much heat at the truck stop and he's, he's out of there and that they should all meet at the farm or the barn. Um, I don't care if you have to drive all night. Get her to the barn. I'll see you there. Um, and Kurt Russell makes sure that he has his gun. And I like. I kind of thought like, oh, maybe you know. But he just like watches JT Walsh get to his truck, uh, and then chases it down yeah. on foot. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I love that scene. I mean. It's so good. I, I don't think I'm brushing past anything significant. No, I no, no, you're not. Him like I love the stagecoach scene of just like now I got to get on this truck and like, he grabs the the undercarriage and he's like pulling you know kind of climbing up that and, like a family station wagon drives by and a kid sees him and does not react whatsoever. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's such a cool like. There's so many little beats in this movie where you feel like John Mostow like must have you know sat in traffic and just like looked at a semi truck and you know had that moment of just like how would I climb this like what you know like because as a kid I would watch these things and it's like I don't want to climb a semi truck uh, you know yeah. um, I never did but yeah like it's such a it's such a fun and like really well done like tense 
you know, even though it's Kurt Russell and you know, like he's not gonna, it's not gonna go badly for him, but he finds all these little places of like, okay, you know, like his foot slips here and he's grabbing for this and there's the mirrors and he's gotta make sure he's not seen. And just all like, it's such a perfect little bit of like stakes filmmaking. You know, you understand every single beat of it and just how hard it is for him to do this. But it is also not quite superhuman, you know, like it's not like it's believable that a person could do this kind of. Yeah, it's believable within a context of a movie like. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's not kind of like, oh, this is ridiculous. getting out of an airplane in commando where you're just like <laughs> none of that would happen <laughs> yeah that, that that's true it's like it's like ridiculous uh, it's like ridiculous but in a grounded way it's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah a grounded ridiculousness is a, yes that, that's a good term I like that. <laughs> no it, i mean it's totally a movie thing but yeah. like you know it's it, this movie really never puts a foot off a path of like believability yeah uh, or I also like again, you know, it's much like the donuts thing. I I like the kind of little moments where it kind of points things out to the audience. Where there's when he is kind of climbing uh, across the undercarriage of of the the trailer of the lorry, um, there is a shot. There's like a close up of the gun in his back pocket, and you kind of know that it's going to fall out his back pocket, and then like you know two seconds after that it does and it, there's yeah. just like these 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 moments that kind of like really highlight things and you're like oh all right oh, i know what's gonna happen now. And, and i i like stuff like that in movies yeah it's it's a it's kind of like die hard in that way of just like die hard seeded all these little things yeah. so that like when this guy is going through this adventure like this is why he doesn't have this but this is why he does have that like okay now he doesn't have the gun so he can't attack jt walsh but maybe he wasn't even planning maybe he was just gonna ride but like then he'd have a gun so they'd be on equal footing but then he loses that and like it is all kind of conspiring to like make kurt russell have to be just like sneaky sneaky the entire time you know he is always at a disadvantage until he is not yeah yeah and even when he is not he still is at a disadvantage yeah Yeah. even though the one moment which would be coming up shortly where he kind of has everybody at his or well we'll get to it but it's holding yeah. everybody up like he still ends up being <laughs> at a disadvantage at one you know one point during it yeah, <laughs> yeah. i think um yeah like it does it, it's, it's interesting as well kind of connecting the the, the kurt russellness of it all you know, like the character of Snake Plissken inspired the character of uh, Solid Snake in the Metal Gear Solid games. Mm-hmm. And as we go into the next scene, it kind of, it, it does be kind of become like a kind of Metal Gear Solid kind of mission, like yeah. in terms of like the way he climbed onto the lorry and then also in terms of the way when the lorry stops he then climbs onto the roof of the barn and has to sneak about the kind of uh, rooftop of the barn yeah which it actually has um i don't know this is one of those moments again when watching tombstone versus this um 
um, which we're going to get to when he's sitting there and he's looking over them and this barn is filled with obviously tourists or, you know, all the people that have driven and have been captured by these, this group before all of their stuff is in there. You have, you know, stacks of cameras and whatever it may be. And he's watching it. They pull in and when they pull out his wife, finally, after all this time, and they think she's dead because, you know, she's wrapped in that like blanket or in that bag. And I think that's probably like one of the moments where I was like, oh, this is like Kurt Russell really like this is a great acting moment for him where you just yeah. raise like so quiet and he doesn't he doesn't isn't fighting or anything. He's just watching it and you see the tears well up because he thinks his wife is dead. And yeah. I'm not like a, I'm not a big video game person, but it's a thing I always love about or a thing I love about Last of Us is that part of the gameplay is you have the option to just hide and sneak around. Yeah. You don't have to like go charging in. And yeah, like he just that, that you know, once he gets to, you know, once he gets on the truck and the truck gets to where it's going and they're at the farm, like it is then a masterclass in like not being seen and he has to like find a spot and like, and he, he's trying to get to like high ground. Um, and then, yeah, it leads to them thinking that she's dead and like, he can't say anything. And cause he's still not somebody who's gonna like go charging into a room, but like it's all his eyes and his face. And literally in one shot, it's just his eyes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's, it's really just tremendous work. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great um, moment. It's 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 a real kind of like, and it's a real suspenseful moment because you you think for a second like, oh, is is she legit dead? Like, is that you know, is it just going to be like a the final act's just going to be like a revenge thing, or you know, or well, what? And because we've been thinking about the vanishing, we're kind of primed to think that she's dead. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, this kind of goes back to the Black Widow thing earlier of like the, the, the clarity and the simplicity of the filmmaking, like Mostow just, he seemed to know exactly what he wanted to do with this movie, you know, like, and I, I'm sure that there were like discoveries and accidents and little miracles, but like, you know, cause every movie has those, but mm. you really like, that's a thing that I really thought about this morning watching it is like, man, this is a sure footed film. It is. It is very taut. It's very economically told. Um, everything's very streamlined, very tight. You know, for sure. And so, I'm, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, who wants to continue with the plot? Shall I continue with the plot? <laughs> I guess. So after that, they shut everything down. She's confirmed alive, but she's basically put into the cellar, under the floor, and then put into what we're told is a freezer but he doesn't actually ever see it the guys all get out they leave lock the place up to then go have dinner with um breakfast it's 6 a.m our breakfast yeah breakfast (laughs) sorry uh breakfast with red's son and his wife and so which she is there's this tiny moment where he gives his son uh like a swiss army knife and his wife it's like oh i didn't expect you home's so for a week and, yeah, yeah. you're supposed to be next week yeah, yeah 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 and so then we get kind of where jeff is going in through this house but and he has can i can yeah. i butt in for a second for because it, like i legit laughed at this moment in the movie because just because of how annoyed red wife is that yeah. she, <laughs> everyone ignored her call for breakfast at least twice before they came she yeah. had 
case. Yeah, because she doesn't know they're putting a body in a freezer. Uh, And I also really like that it's like, oh, you're worse with that for a week. His truck is empty. Like, he is, you know, like, when you're watching, you're thinking like, oh, I guess he's finished that. You know, he has unloaded the thing and now he's like heading back, you know. But like the idea that he was supposed to be out for a week, it's like, how, what? (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. how how does your long haul work yeah. <laughs> it's like or are you even working like is this a front are you like driving a truck for anybody or is this just your truck and it, i mean yeah. it, like that could be it i mean he could just it could be an, an entire front he could just be telling his wife he's a trucker and like mm-hmm. all he's doing is picking up tourists and kidnapping and stealing their money and killing them yeah, because like as we soon as we're about to see, like she doesn't know nothing. Like yeah. she has some awareness, um, which I do think is like it kind of goes back to the uh, the Jeff and Amy thing of like you believe this relationship, you believe they've been together for a long time, and you know so she may not know there's a freezer in the bottom of the barn, and that she may not even know about the false floor, but like. She definitely knows that like some stuff is happening because as we're about to see, she has zero problem making a very difficult demand of somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fair point. <laughs> what is that d- difficult demand, Scott? Well, that difficult demand is like basically <laughs> Jeff is doing his solid snake impersonation and is sneaking about the house. He's he's got a gun, he's found another gun uh, in the truck uh, when he was in the barn and he's sneaking about the house. He uh, is looking in the different rooms to see where everybody is. Uh, He sees the sun is playing doom. I don't know if that's deliberate product placement or not. We'll move on. And then uh, he hears everybody in the other room uh, having breakfast and then he bursts in and he holds up uh, the gang. Uh, so, like, sitting there is is Red and Billy and Al and Red's wife, and he holds them up. He demands to for the because he was trying to, you know, he was, he was trying to get his wife free uh, in the barn, uh, but he couldn't get the the, the cellar door opened uh, because it, it was locked and there was no way to break the lock. Uh, so that's why he had to go in the house and he's demanding the key. And then he is held up himself uh, by Red's young son, Deke, um, who has Red's rifle. And, and like you say, it's kind of a weird character moment because Red's wife seems perfectly normal when we are first introduced to her and seems kind of like whimpering and bemused uh, in a minute when we go to the barn. But in this one scene, she's cold-blooded as fuck and he's just like, shoot him! Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's no like, bring me the gun or anything like that. It's just like, nope, you shoot him. If you don't shoot shoot this stranger, you're grounded, young man. (laughs) Which Jeff is even like your mom isn't good. He keeps saying it like your mom isn't going to be hurt. You're not going to be hurt. This isn't about her. Like he's trying to talk through with this kid in a very sensible way. Well, because he and this is why, like, I don't remember if I said it when we were recording or not. But like, I started thinking about what like a straw dogs with yeah. Kurt Russell starring would be because he is clinging to I am a good person I don't do this like and he never overtly says it 
you know, he never says like, oh, I would never. And I mean, he has obviously <laughs> caused the death. Of, but uh, but yep. like, he still can't bring himself. Like, I, you know, I really never felt like he was actually going to pull the trigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do feel that um, watching this movie that uh, your friend, uh, Jonathan Moster, probably does have a less nihilistic worldview than Sam Peckinpah, which is not <laughs> a high bar to clear, but it's just... <laughs> just... <laughs> I like that. I think you're absolutely correct. Although maybe now, you know, you spend 30, you know, uh, 1997, yeah, you spend 25 years in the, the movie industry, you know, maybe that's what did it to Peckinpah. <laughs> maybe breakdown two is nihilistic as shit yeah. <laughs> well you never know you never know yeah. um, tell me my movie reminds you of the vanishing i'll show you the vanishing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the ending of the vanishing is dark whoa you've not seen nothing yet yeah. <laughs> oh, oh dear, dear, dear yeah and then but like also that kid like the kid, the, I mean, the kid and Red's wife, like both are very believable. That kid, yeah. you know, just has like a moment, but he, he is very believably, you know, confused as to what to do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, no, yeah, no, has... I, I absolutely I agree with that because the kid is like, you know, kind of puffed out his chest and wants to be the savior of the day and wants to stick up for his dad and and then. And then just before he pulls the trigger, he he has that moment of like, and he starts crying because he, you know, obviously dawns on him what he's about to do or what he he might be about to do uh, is is kill a man. And then like, obviously you see the the consequences of that in his face. And and in that moment of indecision, that's when uh, like Jeff kind of hits the gun kind of uh, away from uh, away from him right. so it ends up like shooting off into Al's shoulder um, which doesn't affect Al all that much Al's surprisingly mobile and yeah. later drives a car without too much effort which is quite funny <laughs> do you think the kid was like expecting one of his parents to take the gun so like I think, he can, yeah. he can mess, yeah, I think but so, he wasn't expecting them both to be like yeah, now shoot him. Yeah. Pull that trigger. <laughs> He's just like, ah, I really thought I'd done the, the first part of this. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I feel like he, I've done my bit. Like, you know, I've held the guy the baton, up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and also the house. Like, before we get out of the house, which is about to happen, mm-hmm. uh, I thought the house was incredibly well dressed. Like, yes. Because yeah. it is a creepy house, but also just like, as someone who has spent plenty of time in impoverished, you know, post-industrial America, like, yeah, that's just a house. That's like, they have, you know, you have a room where just like a bunch of shit is, you know, and the, you know, I I think like there's the dining room that has a bunch of stuff piled and like, there's this, I, I, I won't say, I won't speak for anybody else, but like I had a moment of just like, it almost feels like part of the trap that like they've lured him in because you start looking oh, yeah. in the rooms, so you're like, what the hell? And then you hear them like talking and laughing. But I thought yeah. the house was really well executed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I would agree with that as well. And it does, again, it builds up suspense well. And again, you do kind of feel like, oh, are they 
still watching are they just luring him in is this uh part of the kind of uh, trap that they've made you know but it turns out no it's, it's like they didn't realize he'd managed to sneak in but um, uh, af- after that after we we do get out of the house and um jeff does manage to set amy free uh he, he like marches everybody out takes them all to the barn and then he uh, manages to get, I don't know, like it seems like overkill that they put Amy in a locked cellar, and in a like <laughs> in a locked freezer within a locked cellar. It's just like, well, I mean, that just seems slightly excessive, but but sure, anyway, they, they, they do that. And then basically one of my, this might be my favorite, no, it might uh, it's very close but one of my favorite moments in the movie happens here where basically uh, they're all being marched into the cellar and uh, red turns around and he he starts as if he's going to do like a kind of hannibal style monologue and Carousel is just like fuck you and puts <laughs> him in the face and i was legit out laughing at that yeah. Yes. No, it's <laughs> no one but, takes a no one takes a boot to the face like JT Walsh. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. He gets like nine words into this monologue that he's obviously yeah. prepared. Yeah. And you better remember just like, this. No, I'm not having this. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and we should say too that Billy, during the whole once the shoot the gun goes off, Billy escapes. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's right. He just takes off running. Yes. Like a bad hell. Yes. Yeah. Kurt Russell, or well, Jeff, he slams the door, locks it, even throws. It's like a heavy um, tool cabinet or tool shelving thing yeah. on there. And then they start looking for keys to any car, which is nice because it fits more too with, because in movies so many times it's like, oh, they just open up the, what is it, the, <laughs> the visor and then the yeah. keys fall out yeah, and that's yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah, the yeah. case. There are no keys for any of these cars to be found. Do you know what? And it's just hitting me now, but like, you know what movie would make an interesting double feature with this is The Way of the Gun. Uh, oh, I don't know if how well you guys remember that movie. The that's the one. It's got Ryan Felipe in it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Chris McQuarrie's first yeah. film as a director. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I it is. That. It is just. It is nothing but ideas like it is Chris McQuarrie has watched so many of these movies and so every scene is like a riff on a trope so mm-hmm. there's you know low speed you know chases there's how like military action would work with something there's the I mean just and this movie like John has so clearly watched so many of these movies and it really is just like well, what about that? Like, why are the keys always there? You know, wouldn't, like, who leaves their keys in their car? Wouldn't you take them inside? So they are just like, okay, we have to go inside and find the keys. Like, there's so many little kind of grace notes within it. Yeah. Um, and, and I would, like, Way of the Gun, I do adore, but it is so inaccessible to most people because it's mm. just the ideas. And yeah. whereas this one is like, you know who's really good at acting, right? Kurt Russell. <laughs> Let's just put the camera on Kurt Russell and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Because, I mean, you do watch this movie and you, you do kind of feel like 
this film is like if you stuck Deliverance, The Hitcher, Jewel, <laughs> and The Vanishing in a blender <laughs> and added Kurt Russell. Yeah. It's this That's film. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I'm sorry, it's just going to be another game. But like, I was thinking about like where this came out, 1997. Mm-hmm. You know, we were we were still kind of in the post Tarantino, post Pulp Fiction. You yeah. know, like you know where you know Two Days in the Valley was happening, and like people were were making these like clever capital C riffs uh, on the crime movie and on this and on that, and like this, you know, this never calls attention to the fact that it's engaging with the genre, with the tropes, because it doesn't have the self aware dialogue that like was what everyone thought this you know like after after pulp fiction it's like oh we have to like comment on what we're doing while we're commenting let's get meta textual kids uh like this is just like no no i've seen a lot of movies and i have some thoughts and i don't care if you don't catch them all yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's interesting because like yeah this movie is is 24 years old but it feels older it, it feels because yeah. i i think even for the time it feels like a kind of throwback thriller to something that would have been made in the 70s or, yeah. or, or early 80s kind of thing but but i would oh, have, yeah. but i would um like what you were saying adam what's so nice about this and what we saw after tarantino and i mean what we kind of see now with a lot of the throwback stuff is that like this still very clearly stands on its own there's so many now that it's like without the references you're just kind of watching you know don't you remember this movie that was a good movie and then you go well then i'd rather just watch that movie that i really liked instead of this (laughs) when this thought was occurring to me earlier i thought like oh yeah this came out the same year as scream like of course it did Uh, (laughs) like yeah that's that's where we were in 1997 yeah yeah um but yeah, it, like I thought, you're, Scream you're came right. out. I think Scream came out in '96. I think Scream Two might have come. I think Scream Two came out in '97. Oh, maybe that, you're right. You're, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, because it was Christmas '96. Yeah. Yes, I just looked it up. '96 was Scream. Okay, but Scream Two and I know what you did last summer came out in '97. Yeah, yeah that's when horror went the full meta route after yeah. that for a bit. Yep. Th- things got very meta for a, yeah. for a while there. Um, but but anyway, that's a whole different topic for yeah. a whole different podcast, possibly yeah. over on my horror show. Uh, but this is all about action, and we got some action to talk about because this is where the movie is like, yeah, you know, like it was fun being a talk thriller, but now we really want to be an action movie, so we're just going to throw some action at you. And during their search for the keys they're searching through a stationary caravan and red has been set free by billy uh, from the cellar and he's back in his lorry and he just drives right through <laughs> the middle of the stationary caravan and boy is it fun I, I when we were talking earlier about like uh jeff almost running into the winnebago i thought is this Chekhov's rv <laughs> yes <laughs> Ah, dear. It, this is kind of weird because, like, um, again, there was another episode uh, where where Chekhov came up a lot, uh, uh, like, in executive decision. Because um, yeah. I can't remember. There was uh, there was Chekhov's flying lesson and Chekhov's straw in that movie. Yeah. Like, um, 
So yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird that Chekhov has come up so much this season. <laughs> I mean, when you create such a strong dramatic principle, gonna, that is true. You're gonna yeah. recur. Yeah. Mm. That's a fair point. So yes, Chekhov win a bagel. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but they they the the semi truck bashes through, but they have found the keys, and it's time to skedaddle. And he even tries to call. Again, he has the worst luck with calling people because he finally oh, yeah. gets somebody <laughs> on the line. He's like, just trace this call. I don't know where I'm at. And then the truck smashes through and you're like, oh, the phone's destroyed now. <laughs> they can't even do it. <laughs> when, when it, the mind boggles to think what happens when Jeff uh, Taylor orders a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But miraculously, um, they so happen to get into the right side of the Winnebago and um, and survive, and yes. then run to. They've now got the keys, and they run to the car that they've uh, got the keys for, and then we are off on a car chase. Yeah, and is, it's it's a fun it's a fun car chase. What's nice too is the car chase it because this truck that they get into is kind of rusted and old, and so it doesn't fit the. You know, where they're all in fancy fast cars or whatever. It's like they're in this kind of thing that can't even get that fast. So it's not like they can really outrun anybody. And that's true. I I, I do like the kind of um they're again like this gang are like so well organized in what they do. Everything they do is it's almost like as if we're watching a movie. Um like everything <laughs> they do is so well choreographed to the to the point of this in the car chase where they create a kind of pincer movement where Billy's car is on one side of, of the pickup that Amy and Jeff are in. Al, who is driving while shot in the shoulder. Uh, is on the other side and they're kind of compressing them together and then suddenly red is at the at their tail and it's all very well uh choreographed that is until it all goes pear-shaped and uh billy's car flips over and in classic action movie style explodes immediately yeah now before he gets out a couple of shotgun blasts that is is true that is true yeah (laughs) Bye, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Billy, um, yeah, we'll we, miss your acting. We, Billy. we hardly knew you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from that, that one character that you, you created <laughs> for for reasons that only you know, and and uh, we we really want to dig into further. Yeah. But now, anyway, you're dead. Um, and then Al gets an entertaining death as well because Red's eighteen wheeler goes out of control. The trailer detaches from the cab, uh, cutting right across the road, and Al drives right through the trailer. Oh, dear. What works, I mean, this is, and again, just with the action, the fighting sections, that it's messy, and so it feels kind of real in that sense. Even with the the shooting, it's not like um, Jeff has become an expert marksman. Billy isn't either. The you know, they just kind of are shooting around, barely getting anything. And then he even runs out of bullets at one, you know, because he just can't hit the target. You know, in a different action movie, he would have shot one of them or hit the tires out of one of them or whatever it may be. And this, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's all, yeah, like, like you say, the what 
as over the top as this section of the movie becomes, like what we talked about, the kind of new term that we've just coined, uh, grounded ridiculousness. Yeah. <laughs> the action is haphazard enough that you're kind of like, go with it even though you're kind of like oh this is ridiculous this is clearly where we've become like a proper action movie yeah that nobody's ever like i've got one bullet and it's got to hit these three things i've got to spin my <laughs> eyes <laughs> yeah everybody just spraying bullets everywhere nobody really knows what they're up to <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're, right we're pretty much at the <laughs> climax in the movie um red is tracking them down and, oh, okay uh okay craig uh tell us tell us what red's up to no okay so red has kind of been hitting into the back of jeff and amy and until they they go around onto this bridge and yeah their car is just not fast enough and he starts smashing them onto the side and it actually it becomes yeah it's pr- kind of the slow but it builds the tension that he just keeps sm- like smashing into him more and more and they're slowly going off the bridge but then it just kind of jams gentlemen and- i believe that's a wrap on me okay. <laughs> i don't know what's going on with it but uh i will i will be back as soon as i can but uh, i know we're almost at the end so uh i'm very sorry no that that it that is okay <laughs> And, um... <laughs> it, was, it was really nice talking to you guys, and thanks for getting me to rewatch this movie. And uh, we'll be chatting soon. Excellent. <laughs> see, see you. <laughs> and that is how Adam exited this episode. <laughs> it, yeah. So he's slamming into them, and it's basically instead of them being pushed off of the bridge, they're just getting wedged more and more into this the metal railing, and her, um, Amy's leg ends up getting basically slant or latch down into un, you know where the underneath the dash or the was it the the glove compartment and in between the seat and with the railing and everything mm-hmm. and yeah jeff keeps trying to get out but he doesn't want to leave his wife but finally he gets out and he jumps he's able to sneak around and jump into the truck with red and they fight which then sends the truck off the bridge but the truck kind of gets stuck on a railing and is hanging there while the two of them are then climbing up and they have kind of the really the one action i mean even though yeah this has turned into this action movie it's the one that i think fits the most into the trope where you know they're hanging on this truck and then they're doing a a fist fight kind of thing but it's still again frantic and it's still messy and not to the extent that you would see with what like um Stallone yeah. and cliffhanger or whatever yeah that, that that is very true i think that um yeah so when they kind of tip over and and the truck kind of tips over and then they're both kind of fighting on the truck i think obviously that is kind of a classic action beat particularly so like in this kind of sequence of the movie we have uh, the car exploding which is very much a classic action beat and you would find in a million action movies and i find that this is another point where you're like oh this is very much an action movie now when he and and don't get me wrong i still got a lot of enjoyment from this scene but like when you know red is like um throwing the chain about and then Jeff grabs the chain yeah. and they 
the camera gives a close-up of Red where he's like, oh, no, I'm fucked. And yeah. then gives a close-up of uh, Jeff like, ha-ha, got you. <laughs> yeah. And then Jeff throws him off the cabin of the truck. That, that I, you know, is very much like a kind of stereotypical yes. action beat. But I still enjoyed the heck out of it. Because I think because the, the film does such a good job of making Red such a piece of shit just yeah. like it makes a really good job of Errol being such a piece of shit that you're just desperate to see them die. Yeah. Well, and this is kind of the one moment too where you've seen Jeff, even when he takes things into his own hand, he's pretty, you know, he's not really in control as we've talked about. So this is the kind of our one moment where we've watched him, you know, this whole movie. And then finally he's in complete control and he's where it's like the, I guess the fist pump element of like yes finally <laughs> he's got it like, he's finally uh you know ahead of these guys in once in a sense yeah yeah this is his one proper action movie swagger moment yeah and like uh adam mentioned uh breakdown two <laughs> you know like what, what breakdown two would look like um whether it be much more nihilistic or, or or whatever but the thing i i really like and i know i saw some reviews that didn't like it so much um like the roger ebert review didn't seem to quite like the ending after it being such a kind of top thriller but i do quite enjoy the ending the fact that so it's set up in this kind of horror movie way where jeff and amy are looking over the bridge at Red's dead body in the valley, and you know, in the in in the river, he's hit yeah. his head on a rock, and then he kind of twitches, and this is like this is almost like setting up for like breakdown to Red's revenge, but no, 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 Amy lets the truck loose, and the truck cabin <laughs> drops onto Red. Yeah. And it's such a satisfying moment. And even though it's ridiculous and over the top and arguably doesn't fit the tenor of the movie, I still enjoyed the heck out of it. No, I agree. I mean, there was, and I will say this, you were talking about horror movies. And it's funny because watching this, there were certain moments, because I guess, you know, this type of plot has been common in many horror <laughs> films. True. Um, but there was like watching the ending it's like you know in a horror movie what would happen now is another person would come by and be like oh do you need some help or you know or something that would be like uh oh it's gonna set it up again <laughs> yeah know. the the nightmare continues kind of yeah. thing yeah uh for sure and yeah like i mean there is beats in this movie that as much as it's an action movie there is beats in this movie that kind of make it feel like a horror as well it's yeah. a bit like you know when we're back in the barn uh, when Kurt Russell finds all those boxes with all the cameras and stuff, like it really reminded me of the scene in Wrong Turn with the kind yeah. of car graveyard and stuff like that. You know, so there is, and obviously there's lots of, you know, redneck horror movies. Um, so, uh, the, so it made me think a lot of that kind of film. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And I mean, this, we pretty much get them after that. Then they're just sitting on the bridge holding each other and we're kind of they're they're just basically they're alone. We're assuming that the cops or somebody will hopefully 
come by at some point but that's yeah basically it that they're just holding yeah that's that's the end of the movie and also i kind of like that beat as well because again in a lot of action movies just like in a lot of horror movies you don't often see like it ending on the kind of trauma of the event yeah like because it almost reminded me of the ending of last house on the left yeah where the couple are just kind of hugging each other at the pool and like just what they've done has kind of dawned on them and the trauma of that and the and the the grief like in that movie you know they're also grieving for their daughter and it's it's all all that emotion has is now it's all been delayed and it's all hit them at once and they're just they their whole world has come down and they all they've got is each other yeah no i agree and i know um this is because i know you talked about this on your other podcast new horror express with um neil marshall stevens and i remember some advice that he gave and things they talked about with new horror movies or issues that he had was that movies don't these movies kind of always want to end now on a cliffhanger on the jump on the whatever and there's so many movies that don't just want to let the movie end and let it kind of have that resolution and there there is kind of this or he was talking about missing that of like here's a fully formed film instead of Oh, here's something that is meant to be either a franchise or meant to continue, you know, be continued in a sequel or whatever it may be. Yeah, a, a and fully formed thought, I guess. You know. Yeah, that that's true, and it, it's it's interesting. Like, yeah, a lot of movies don't do that, and it's you know, it's another kind of clever thing in this movie that it gives this kind of breath for yeah. for the audience to kind of let what you've you just seen like. Uh, sink in you know so they're cuddling each other in the bridge and at that point there's no music and then it cuts to credits and for a few seconds i i I didn't count it i don't know like maybe 20 seconds or whatever again as the credits start to roll no music it's just like totally muted and then the the, and then a gentle part of the score kind of cuts in uh as some of the credits have already already rolled and it gives you know it it, it lets the movie it gives you this kind of moment to 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 let the movie sink in and i think it's yeah i think it's really again that that little silence is really well placed yeah i agree and uh yeah it's kind of strange this episode's been kind of i mean apart from the dog interruptions and the the kind of (laughs) the kind of tangents you know we always have strangeness like that but yeah this episode's kind of strange because my kind of greatest criticism of this movie is that it's nothing more than a well-done thriller it doesn't yeah. it doesn't stand out in the same way that the vanishing does yeah. or you know it you know it doesn't stand out you know uh, in the way that a truly classic movie stands out but yeah. it is an excellent example of what it is and I, but other than that i can't really criticize it that much yeah no i agree completely i mean again i did watch it before but i'm counting this is basically my first watch since i couldn't remember and no this is one that i think for the first time in this whole um podcast that we've been doing this together (laughs) whereas where it wasn't it wasn't something that i watched as a child and then Mm it's like oh now i'm picking it apart or whatever it may be this was just like i just enjoyed it from beginning to end i didn't really have anything with it i was and it was another one that was like oh i think maybe i'll we 
we'll buy the blu-ray or maybe i'll buy like i might watch this again like this is I, yeah i like this <laughs> <laughs> well again letting the audience in on all our secrets uh this is being recorded in july but uh, when this episode comes out and you know you will be listening to this uh, if you're listening to on the day that it comes out on the 29th of September. And if you are doing that, uh, this new, brand new, brand spanking new special edition of Breakdown will have been released just the week before. So if you have this episode has interested you in the movie um pick up the special edition it's got a new commentary it's got new interviews with kathleen quinlan who plays amy new interviews with kurt russell uh, a bunch of bonus features and, and all that stuff we're not being paid for any of this by the way no. we just thought we'd flag it up to you yes. <laughs> support physical media <laughs> support physical media yeah get special editions you know they got fun stuff on them they got fun yeah. behind the scenes stuff <laughs> and yeah that's it i i think uh we've said all we can say on breakdown would you say craig i agree okay so it just leaves us to kind of uh, wrap up and um craig uh do the do the normal social media details yes. tell people everything uh if you want to follow me and see the stuff that or follow me on twitter or instagram it's either um, on twitter it's craig dram and on Instagram, it's Craig.Dram, D-R-A-H-E-I-M, is where I'm primarily at. I also have a you know, Facebook or whatever. But also, I co-host Bloodhound Picks, where we look at kind of older, obscure, and independent horror films, and we highlight them. Or sometimes we also will do segments called Industry, where we'll talk to members of the horror community, from bloggers to filmmakers to um, Act, um, scholars to whoever it may be and talk about what it's like working and being a part of the horror industry in kind of this modern era and so that's what we'll do that is bloodhound picks p-i-x and yeah that's on twitter instagram facebook and we have the website bloodhoundpicks.com as well but yeah that's where you can find me if you're interested excellent and you can find me on my other podcast at new horror express either on the website newhorrorexpress.com or on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, the Twitter handle is at newhorrorexp. Or um, if you want to contact this show, you can always do that on our Twitter at 90s underscore all. Or, or you can even hit me up at scottmurphy85 if you want to do that. Uh, tell us uh, your thoughts on this movie. Tell us your thoughts on any of the movies uh, we have covered in this season. We would love your feedback. Uh, but that is all for this time. Please do join us next time in our season finale when we will be covering Soldier. But until then... See ya.